0: Host, Dimitri Filippovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me fresh off of his trip to Florida for the All-Star break and all the festivities that happened over the weekend. It's my good buddy Sean Shapiro. Sean, what's going on, man? Not
1: much, not much. I'm back, uh, from out of the sun now. I've been to, it's actually kind of got a little bit nicer here, but no, it's nice. Uh, I'm, I'm now back out of the sun and watched some, uh, I guess, all star was fun, but also it's good to be back to watch some uh, real hockey that matters this week too. So it's a, it's a it's a it was a good break, a good a good time to get some work done, good place to go for a couple days, and uh, now it's good to be here.
0: Well, let's 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 talk about that then. Let's pick your brain. I, I have to admit, I legitimately did not watch a single second of the mm-hmm. actual game itself on Saturday. Um, I don't know, did I miss anything? I heard Dylan Larkin was trying really hard, so. That's yeah, one thing. yeah.
1: I mean, it's the, the all-star game in general is right. Like the game was actually better, and it was one of the rare years for me where the game actually turned out to be better than the skills competition because basically the skills competition was the skills competition was crap this year. Basically, they went yeah. through and they they tried a lot of things that didn't work. They messed around with the programming, and, and something that normally carries the weekend kind of got worse, and the game actually the second game in general, actually like there's actually the guys, I don't know why, but guys were actually trying a little bit. There was actually, and so the game itself was better than I expected. Um, which I think is about as good as you can get barring. You have a guy in the game who was voted in and traded from one team to another in the league, tried to uh, ban him and everything like that. Like, I think this was about as good as an all-star three and three you could get aside from the once in a lifetime circumstance of that first one with John Scott. <laughs> well, I, Okay, so I, I did watch
0: all of the skills competition stuff on Friday, and well, I guess I guess my big question, well, I'll, you know, I was just sitting and having a couple of drinks, enjoying my yeah. break. Uh, yeah, had a couple people over, also hockey fans. It was fun trying to explain to them what I thought was happening, but I even myself didn't really know. I guess that was my lasting takeaway from a lot of the the programming on Friday was what what in the sweet heck is going on here? Like I I. I yeah, we've talked about this before on on, on this show, right? Where then the event, the, especially the Friday portion, is not for us, right? It's like it's yeah. for younger fans, it's for the kids, all that good stuff. But if that's the case, and it clearly is, then why are the two big references you're making as part of the skills competition being Miami Vice and Happy Gilmore, like two yeah movies that? What percentage of like eight-year-olds are even aware of those movies it's
1: it's 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 so wild i mean miami vice right when did it i'm just using the internet here when did miami when was the last time miami vice was on tv like i ran for like the original miami vice ran from like 84 to 89 like i was born in 89 Like, like that's old like the miami vice reference even goes like i got it because i know like oh that's miami yes, vice yeah. but like i i still didn't Get it? Like it's not like it was something where it's like connected with midi. So is that your appeal to try to bring in the? Jeez. Yeah, I felt like you could
0: have made yeah. it. Like I get yeah. the geographical yeah. reference. Yeah, and but I, I, it felt like you could have probably made some sort of reference to a movie or a bit of pop culture that actually
1: made sense for so, the graphic the, for the demographic the, you're trying to target. The Miami Vice Fund too. One the thing that happened that didn't that was supposed to happen that didn't because obviously this is all scripted. Uh Martyr whiffed. He was supposed to loft it up like high glove and Luanga was supposed to do give it like the big how do you do on the, on yeah. the middle and everything yeah. like that? Yeah. yeah. And because he just basically whiffed on the shot, it just became that. it just became a weird here's Mitch Martyr in a suit and we didn't really do much else with it, right? Like like the Happy Gilmore thing was at least semi funny and a little bit more relevant, but Anyone no. no. Not really.
0: No, I, got, no. I had to break no, no, it. On, on I, TV be, it was, you know, it was okay. an absolute mess.
1: Yeah, no, I'm being kind, but that's Well let, let's go through the yeah.
0: mechanics of it then. You were you were there. I, so a lot I, of the stuff's like pre recruitment yeah. and stuff, right? What was the what was the logic behind formatting it so that they would start in an event? Actually, like in the case of the accuracy competition, for example, you know, McDavid. Mm-hmm hits all of his marks immediately in superhuman fashion yeah and instead of building on that and being like all right let's see him what he's gonna do next all of a sudden it's like all right and now we're gonna put this over here and we're gonna do two or three other events now and resume them, yeah. and then we'll follow this up later at a point at which you've probably already forgotten what happened in the first place like what was the, what was the logic behind the actual reduction of it in terms of formatting that way, as opposed to starting an event and finishing it and then starting a new one.
1: ESPN and the NHL had seen metrics where viewership, and I know this for a fact, fact, uh, ESPN and the NHL had seen metrics where the number of the viewership drops after certain events, where after the hardest shot, after accuracy, after fastest skater, if you looked at like the chart of viewership, there'd be people like who would just leave after that. And so the thought concept process behind it was, well, if the event doesn't end, those people, they can't leave. Well, they can't leave. Right. And that was the thought process. And, and it didn't work, right? Like it was just so disjointed and confusing. And you had really kind of no idea what was going on. I mean, but my favorite part about all of this is the fact that, like, Kirill Kaprasov just chose not to do anything. Yeah. Like, that's the best part out of all this. Like, he was supposed to be in the fastest skater, and they were going through, and uh, Detroit, right? I, we spoke to Dylan Larkin a little bit after Skate, uh, this back in Detroit this week, and he was like, we're air and everything like that, and we go through everyone, and, like, Kaprasov just never goes and basically he just kind of decided he wasn't going to do it and, and like it's, I mean the whole yeah. thing was just, it was as what it was it was so bad in person, here's the thing about like the skills competition was so bad in person it was so, such a push to be like a TV event and everything like that and the fact that it didn't translate at all to real television is just even more of a like damning thing of like how much they missed the mark on it because in person it was just awkward and weird and you would go through times where it's like at one point like I hit the like someone in the press box and like hit the stopwatch and there's like 22 minutes of non-action for the people in the building who are paying way too much money to be there and are just like hey. so it was it was a very awkward weird event well here's the thing so I think we're all resigned to the reality that especially
0: for the game portion on the Saturday. Like the motivation incentive to try really hard and actually turn it into a game situation is just not going to be there, right? And and it's understandable no one wants to get hurt in one of these exhibition events. Totally makes sense. Here's the thing though. I think there's a way to do especially the skills competition part where you tap into what this should be at the root of it which is you have a collection of the best athletes in the sport all in one place. Part of what makes them so good is how just obscenely competitive they are, right? Yeah. And so you get them doing stuff where they don't want to be shown up by their peers. So then you get them tapping into that by actually being competitive. And it was interesting. I understand that this doesn't make for the live experience, of course, for the people in the building. But one of the events that I thought did kind of work for me was the pre-recorded segment of the guys playing golf. Because yeah. yes. you got to see, you actually got to see like Jason Roberts, Robertson, like earnestly um, talking to like Clayton Keller and other players that were yeah. there competing with him. And like he messes up his first shot and he's like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. And then like he hits a second one and you can like see him kind of like the wheels turning up him, like talking himself into it being like, all right, I got a chance here. Like, you know, things would turn around for me. And you see that actual personality of his shine through. You see, him interacting with a peer while they're doing something competitive so he's trying and that's what this should be right? Instead you get some of these like breakaway challenges and stuff where it's like it's it's an embarrassment because you can tell that they're there just because they have to be there so they're not even trying it's like alright I can see I could go to any local rink and see someone do this like shootout move at 10% yeah. speed with none of the skill applied like that's not that that doesn't sell anything. That's not showing off what the product is and what makes these players special. The golf thing is kind of irrelevant to hockey, but at least it shows them in that natural element of them trying and seeing whether they can beat someone that they actually care about.
1: I would have watched two hours of the golf thing, honestly. Like, just like, cause I, I watched it later since I was in the building. So, like, during while I was going live, I was doing running around a bit, but like, I actually watched the golf thing later and I would have watched, like, you could have taken and like, you could have played three more holes and I would have watched that content. I would have watched all that content. It would have been something that I didn't need to be in person for it. It's something that I would have watched more of. Um, the out of like, there was two things about the pre-tape stuff that I think are important to note on this for me. Um, last year, what they did in Vegas actually worked because people watching at home and people in the building were able to suspend disbelief because the Bellagio fountain is right next to T-Mobile. So the concept of like, hey. We we did the hardest skate. We did the fastest fastest skater. Now we're going to just go to the fountain where we've got. I think it was Zach Wierenski who won it last year. We'll go to we'll go to Zach Wrensky and and these guys on the Bellagio fountain. It's like you could at least suspend disbelief while watching. Where it's like okay, those two things are geographically next to each other. Would we all know the Panthers play next to the Everglades and the beach is nowhere close to that? Like so that was another like thing that took out of it for me. Where it's like it was it took away the even though even though. There was even though people, if you if you thought about it, you knew it wasn't happening at the same time. It took away from the geography of it. It took away from like like okay, well this really isn't happening. This is something where they're at the beach. I know the Panthers play nowhere near the beach. So what are they showing me? Why am I seeing this? Like I think there was an easier suspension of disbelief with the Vegas one, and then I think the other issue is, and and this is obviously be hard to get players to sign on for this when you have a guy like Kaprazov who refused to do anything, but. Um, and I'm not blaming Gappers I Actually, I think it's great. It's a great silent protest of the of, of, of how that is. is run. But um, if you're we're talking about Jason Robertson, a guy you need to market, a guy you need to grow the game, a guy you need to a guy who is basically not the, the the mainstream white dude, and you who we should be talking more about in the sport. If you're someone who went to the game to the skills competition, and all you do get to see is him in a live in a video on TV as opposed to seeing him actually do something that he's great at like it just loses a lot of the impact too in the building where you're like okay I'm getting I'm getting short I'm getting short shifted here basically by not getting the the full all-star experience of having to actually see what all of these guys do and see all of this and everything like I I I think the away from the rink stuff should still be part of it in the future I think but I think it needs to be looked at as a content in addition to as opposed to something separate from like like it like it needs to be something where it's like you shouldn't go into when they go to Toronto next year for the for the skills competition there shouldn't be a setting where somehow you don't have a guy doing something because I mean I don't know what they'll do on site in Toronto probably just be they'll probably do that one it will be more frustrating because it'll be like they'll do it on an outdoor rink people will be like wait there's a rink right here why did you not just do it right in front of us so um, so it should be like the external stuff, they should continue to do it, but you need to find a way to make it just a supplemental content piece, right? Yeah. like the golfing. Put it together, do a hole, do do two more holes, and put it together. Put it on on a streaming platform or whatever, and get more people to watch it. But don't, but still, let me see Robertson and Suzuki do other things in the skills competition. It just became well, so. Yeah,
0: I thought Robertson was was genuinely like hilarious. Like, I, oh, no, no, yeah. And it's next yeah. to that where, like, every every sort of peek behind the curtain I've seen in terms of content that showed him off the ice seems like to back that up as well, right? Like, he seems yeah. like a genuine personality. But that all tells you a lot about the NHL's shortcomings in this regard that how many how many instances do we have to point to to, to get more and more of that, right? Like, I, I, yeah, you don't, does the league actually know? That Jason Robertson should be one of its most like marketable stars that they really should be putting significant resources into putting in the forefront in terms of like, this guy is incredibly good at hockey and also cool and a young player and he's playing a big market and we should be like centering him in this discussion as opposed to kind of being sort of some sort of like one off on the side. Yeah.
1: I mean, did you see the, I loved it. I don't know. Did you just see the clip of, uh, so he was, I'm not sure he was mic'd up or whatever, but the audio from when he went to go take the face off, there's 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 a great clip where, where it's like it's goes they go into he goes it's when they're playing the Pacific and I think it's Drysaddle or something like that. And Robertson doesn't take face offs, but he's out there and he's going to go take the face off, and he's like, and he he just he just starts talking to I think it's Drysaddle basically, but I was like, this isn't really fair. I've taken one face off in three years, and now I have to take it against you. Like, it's
0: not... <laughs> <laughs> well, I did see the video of him in the locker room. Where like, I guess he's doing a tour and giving his rankings of all the retro reverse jerseys. Yeah, and then he gives the he gives a thumbs up to the Blues one, which is an objectively ugly jersey. And then and then all of a sudden it pans and to behind the camera and Vlad Tersanek is basically coercing him to yeah. give a glowing review. It's like yeah that was pretty funny. I'd like to see a little more of that. Yeah, I don't like the the breakaway stuff was stunning for how bad it was. Right from yeah. From The concept, which I can't explain to you what the rules were, to Mm -hmm. how disjointed it all was, to how convoluted it was, to the fact that no one was trying. Like, I don't... So, especially the part where, like, the player... Like, there would be a skater, and he would stand at center ice basically along the boards, right? And they would rim it off the boards. The goalie would go to simulate what they do in a game, and they'd go play the puck behind the net, right? And then to show off the skills, they'd shoot the puck Toward all the length of the ice and try to score on the other net, right? Yeah. Like I, I enjoyed the like UC Saros genuinely seemed to be trying really hard, and when he yeah. scored one, he was so happy. And I was like, all right, like th- this is pretty cool. But everything was in such slow motion that it doesn't it like I'm saying, it doesn't show what makes them such good athletes, right? Like at the very least, send some sort of four checker or something to kind of rush them and see if they if they can like kind of evade them and shoot it quickly on net to simulate that game setting without any of the dangers involved like I don't a goalie going back slowly behind the net and then firing the puck the length of the ice isn't that interesting and Igor Shosturkin the the best one in the league probably at doing so isn't even the one of the ones taking the shots I I don't you know what was what was going on like who signed off on this
1: yeah um I mean that's a great drill like on that's what like that's a great like goalie like training drill where you're like okay hey we'll dump the puck in shoot the net and if you hit the net you have to if you don't hit the net you have to face a breakaway like that's like a great drill that i'm sure some coach like wrote down after watching that we'll use it and but like (laughs) as far as a a showcase for best best players in the world and everything like that it's (laughs) yeah it missed the mark yeah, yeah, it did. It did, and and the good news is, and the, the the key question is, and just hopefully they'll actually follow through with it. Is allegedly, ESPN and the NHL looked at this and said, "Okay, this is a disaster. We need to be better next year." Yeah, now, it's one of those we'll believe it when we see it. Is it like the
0: New Year's and- resolution for everyone, where on January first you tell yourself you're going to do all this stuff, and then. By January fifteenth, yeah. you don't do any of it.
1: It's like the it's like the gym membership where it's like right. you sign up for it and then the re- and then it's like recurring and then like you get to December and you're like ah I've been charged I've been been paid, charged X amount of dollars each month for this it's a like well I just
0: yeah I mean all of it just reeked of Mickey Mouse behavior which is our biggest fear about the NHL that just like yeah, how do you take it seriously when it presents itself in this way and I not that, not that this event needs to be serious but what I'm saying is like. It was a good opportunity for the league. There was very little happening in the sports world that weekend. It was a very good opportunity to people that are turning it on or looking for something to watch. It's like, all right, this is interesting. I'm going to stick around, and then maybe you get to know some of the players involved, and then maybe in a couple of weeks you're once again in a similar spot, and you're tuning into a game, and you become a fan. Like That kind of stuff happens yeah. organically that way, and I don't know who in their right mind would have watched that event without being, without having any rooting interest to begin with. It would have come away from it being like, "Oh, I need to give the NHL a shot." Like, I no, like that—that yep. that is yeah. not a thought process or a calculus that happened with anyone involved. And so, I don't know how you view it other than a complete failure based on that.
1: Yeah, no, it's. I agree. It's, and the fact of the matter is, like, it's one thing. Was like, I, I'm, I'm sure I'll see a bunch of like I tweeted out the, the the viewership numbers in the United States. Like, actually, the viewership was up like. 30% from the All-Star game last year and everything like that. And uh, it's there's been such discourse over the viewership numbers of well, the let's,
0: NHL. Let's talk about those because I want to talk about broadcasts yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. So let's move yeah, yeah, forward beyond yeah, yeah. the, yeah, yeah. the All-Star.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so like I just, uh, we'll get to that and I'll use this to forward move us into that. Like the whole thing is like, yeah. at one point yeah, when they're celebrating the amount of people who watch this thing and everything like that, that's actually the event where you you don't want those good viewership numbers. Like, frankly, you want the viewership numbers on this one to be like, uh, well, we got it. Like, you don't have the metric, the met the, the data from a TV product perspective went the other way, kind of frustratingly, where it's like you had, you had 1.9 million viewers at Adam Max and everything like that in the United States, which is more than it had viewing the game in Vegas and all that, that junk and everything like that. So it's. If anything, if anything, you talk about, did it turn people into wanting to watch the game? It may have actually done the opposite, where you're like someone who's not a hockey fan sees this, and they're like, "All right, well, now I have, I guess I never need to see this." Like that's the other, like the other fear, right? Well, I don't think anyone would have necessarily been, yeah, yeah, turned
0: off for life from it, but it it yeah. certainly didn't move the needle in either direction. So at that point, what what is the point of this? And why is this happening? Why are we wasting everyone's time and money? It just, it's bizarre. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the actual broadcasts themselves though. And, and we can talk about the viewership numbers as well. This was obviously a big topic of discussion last week in particular, um, as there were no yeah. real games going on. So we were talking about some of this off-ice stuff. I think there's a really interesting conversation to be had. I know that you did a, a Q&A on your site as well with Liam McHugh, right? The host of, yeah. of NHL and TNT. Yeah. And that is one broadcast that I, I, I say actually probably this doesn't apply to as much but the local ones in particular for me I the league is falling so far behind both the NBA and NFL in terms of yeah how intelligently it um how intelligently it highlights the cool parts of their product to make fans aware of like why they should care you know what I mean like when you watch an NHL game yeah the product is so good right now. The players are amazing. Everyone's so fast. Everyone's so skilled. The degree of difficulty you see in terms of some of the shots and goals executed is higher than it's ever been. But it's it's kind of prohibitive in the sense that unless you're a huge fan that's really just like spending your every entire day focusing on this stuff and watching tape and everything like I like I do, that's not the casual fan at home, right? You you work your job. You come home. You turn on the TV. You watch your favorite team. The game is so fast that. Sometimes stuff happens and you probably either miss it or can't appreciate why it was so cool. Or you just think it was like an entirely random bounce of the puck, right? And then the, the job of the broadcast live as it's happening, especially during intermissions, in my opinion, should be to show all that cool stuff that happened and then break it down in a thoughtful way to show fans at home what, like what happened, why it was notable, what the mechanics were behind it, whether it was the X's and O's or a technical thing in terms of the shot, and then kind of a- allow everyone at home then to really appreciate what they actually witnessed. You know what I mean? And th- this, yeah. these broadcasts do not do any of that. And so it was really funny. Like you, you see, Carl Koliakos tweet about it, and it's like, oh, there's too many math equations. That's what's ruining the product. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think the broadcasts are suffering from being too smart these days. Let's, let's, that's like the kindest way I can put it.
1: I think one of the issues with broadcast things that really happened is we have you have a lot of people in the broad in the producing standpoint. Uh, I think you have still a lot of people who are producing hockey who came into it and when they either started producing or they forever forever it forever it was ooh it's hockey we have fights let's let's sell the fights like like and end and so anytime and you just and now that fighting is virtually gone beyond a couple instances here and there i think you have people who produced the game and promoted the game who now they're like i i don't know how to fill the void without fights i mean and, and like you and, and how often do you get the how often do you get the guy who's in the studio is the guy who made his living beating the crap out of people right like it's it's often that it's often the enforcer in the studio the guy who comes with the Wow, this is such a hard game, and played by hard men, and we need to, we need we need more physicality, and like, and people just lament what's not there anymore instead of celebrating what is, and it's 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 kind of sad. Like it's there's there's so many little things about the, like occasionally I'll do like the how did that go in port for uh, for my site itself goals and everything like that, Mm -hmm. and. Well, going back and even just watching like the ten seconds around the goal, the amount of little things that happen on a play, like within the millisecond, like I'll be watching and I'll stop and I'll screen grab something and I'll screen grab something else and I'll look and I'll be like, "Holy crap!" Like I've screen grabbed six things within like a second and a half, right? Like there's all of this stuff that's happening and it's so interesting and it's going through these players' minds that quick and and we don't get any of that. Like I, we just we don't we don't get the we don't get the the breakdown we don't get the like the the guys the people in the actual booth the play by play and the analysts like they can only do so much in the moment i'm actually i'm fine with i don't know what else they can do honestly obviously you can become a better analyst but in general it's as you say this is so much more on the intermission the pregame the postgame how do we actually highlight what's impressive about this how do we highlight the and how do we use? How do we find these other? Like the other thing you think about, is just how this game has been shot. Like, and I'm not sure if there's a better way. Yeah, but we, but hockey has been shot from basically the same camera one angle right since uh, forever. Like, do you, I mean, fun trivia that I sometimes like to tell people. Like, do do you know why the red line is 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 dashed? Do you know the answer to that? No. Well, the TVs were black and white, so you could tell the difference between the red line and the blue line. That's why the that's the why the red line is dashed. And so, like, that's why the center ice line is dashed. And so we still shoot from the same camera one angle for every single thing. And you see some broadcasts play around a couple, maybe the the behind-the-net thing and stuff like that. But we've basically been shooting this game and covering this game with basically the same concept for forever. And we now have such better technology. Like, if you had told someone, like, if you went and said, like, to, like, a real, like, like, find me, like, a filmmaker who knows nothing about hockey. Like, I'd love someone to, like, should this bit project, I'm gonna write this down. I should find some. Well, they had they had some they have some cool they have some cool shots. They were especially
0: doing a lot of this during um, during that the the season the bubble season basically right where where yeah. there was no yeah. fans in the stands and and they were playing in like the same ranks over and over again, and they they were integrating a lot of this cool visual stuff of like the camera that was basically like at ice levels, and then they would just like show you like the slow motion replay of like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trick line a one timer, and you could see like the flex yeah. on his stick and exactly where he picked his spot at the top of the, the top corner, and that stuff's so cool. And we still see a little bit of that, but I you're right. Like for for how far we've come in 2023 in terms of what we have yeah. and in the but way how, of technology, how, like show some of that.
1: But that, how often do you see that in a non uh, national TV broadcast? Very rare. That's with, like that's that's where my point is. Like it's one thing when it's the playoffs and the league is there and they're like, Oh, we got to do this, this and this. But when we need hockey to be cool on the daily basis for the, for the kid watching the, the regional broadcasts in Nashville or Washington or Columbus or whatever, we're not getting that stuff. It's not, it doesn't show up on those, like those regional broadcasts. And I know part of it's probably always going to be quote unquote budget technology or whatever but we have the technology the league has this like you have this and there's so much more you can do to make this sport cool i mean it's funny to me we have like we've all seen that guy and i've made fun of that guy before and i apologize for but like we've all seen that guy who like stacks the gopro on the back of like behind the net like for a beer league game Mm -hmm. like we sometimes get cooler angles from really slow beer league games that we do for NHL HL games because someone decided to tack a GoPro somewhere. Like, there's the amount of things that we just, there's the amount of things that we could be doing and that would be, that we can just kind of add and would be great. And it's.
0: Yeah, we need more breakdowns. So the, the games are really fast, yeah. but like yeah. you watch like Chris Collinsworth, like in between plays in an NFL game. Yes. Yeah uses the telestrator, highlights, all right, this is what this offensive lineman did, watch the way the, mo- the what he does here pre-snap, all of a sudden, this is where the play breaks down or this is where the play was really blown open and what allowed him to succeed. After every commercial, at the very least, there should be yeah an intelligent X's and O's breakdown of the coolest thing that happened prior to the commercial. And mm-hmm. rarely it's that. Like, it, it's very rarely, or you show the replay, but you're not actually, you're either ill-equipped or unable to identify what happened. And so you don't really teach anyone at home. And I think there's a way to do it in an entertaining way where you're not talking down to people or you're not boring them with minutia that they might not care about while still celebrating what's so cool about the On Ice product, which we all agree is as cool as it's ever been. So I don't understand where the the imbalance is there or why some of these broadcasts are unwilling to sort of really go down that hole.
1: Yeah, especially the ones that... I don't understand the ones that at, fit into the space where the in the quote-unquote quote non-traditional markets. Like, I would be... And I'm not giving a pass to anyone on this, but, like, it's one of those where, like, if you told me, like, this was only an issue in the quote-unquote original six and we don't need to do that, like, fine, okay. But there's other places where these teams and these these teams know that they need to be different. They need to find a way to be unique and they need to find a way to grow new hockey fans and everything like that and so the broadcast should know that too like
0: yeah you'd like to think so but here we are talking about it all over again so alright John let's, uh, let's take our break here while we still can and uh, when we come back we'll finish up on the other end of things you're listening to the hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network
1: catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning be sure to subscribe and download the show
0: on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts All right, we're back here on the Hockey cast with Sean Shapiro. Sean, one final note on the broadcast that I, I did want to get to. I think this is why I'm so passionate about this topic. I just want to learn more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I I, 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 was, I was saying this to you, but I, I, I'm happy to admit it here. Like I, I can't remember the last time I watched the broadcast that didn't involve either Ray Ferraro or Mike Johnson, and actually learned something cool about what had happened and. That's a shame. And it's not because I know everything. I certainly do not. In fact, I, I was pretty late to hockey. So like a lot of these like little details about playing and stuff are like still foreign to me. I'm trying to pick up on it. And I watch so much tape that I think I've come a long way in that regard. But there's so much stuff from a hockey life that I feel like I could learn throughout the course of these broadcasts. And then you read some of the work that we have on EP Rinkside of people who are just sitting at home breaking down tape and you edit a lot of this yeah. stuff. So you, you're, <laughs> you're certainly familiar yeah. with it. And you just like you learn about all of these little intricacies of a skating stride or something, and it's like, I feel like there's a way to incorporate this into a game broadcast without, you know, getting everything screeching to a halt and you know getting in the way of talking about the game. Like there's there's enough downtime in between plays where I feel like we could we could have some fun with it.
1: Yeah, like give well, I'll take this opportunity to give the credit to our guy, um, Lassie lassie over at DP Rinkside. He, I just edited his piece before we hopped on this to just. He did a breakdown of Ivan Demidov, a Russian prospect, and for the 2024 draft. And I always just I come away learning while reading through his stuff and editing his stuff, just how various guys, when it comes to the skating stride and how a guy swivels his hips in a certain way, and like all these little things that I pick up that I would just love to see some of that in the broadcast where I don't have to be the hockey nerd, or in my case, someone who literally works in the industry. To go seek it out to find it. Like, I want it to be given to me. I want their um like I don't like for example, I'm not a football nerd. I, I don't really my NFL consumption doesn't go beyond turning having the games on in the background on Sundays, but I still watch and I still learn more about the game because it's presented to me in a way where I can I can become a smarter football fan by just paying attention to the generic just pay attention to the normal broadcast I don't have to and I know the sports are different and there's different stoppages in the NFL and everything like but that there's still there still has to be a happy medium like and as he said it's just it comes from a point of I want I want to be able to learn th- if I want to learn stuff because that's when I'm most passionate about working on things frankly and so I want to learn things and it's and and that's how you create more hockey fans too like if this is something where you have gateways for people to kind of like learn what's happening and actually be interested in it so much. It opens so many more opportunities that we're just not touching on right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I Well, yeah, I would like to think that's what we do with this show here, right? Like kind of like identify a few things that we picked up on, whether I've been watching tape or look at the numbers and then few <laughs> from people. They're like, Oh, like, you know, the show at least helped me like think about the game in a different way or something. And that's what the broadcast should be trying to, to get to at the end of the day. So yeah, it is what it is. Um, okay, let's move on. Wanna talk a bit about the Bruins? Cause you were yeah, you were around them quite a bit and you and you wrote up a couple yeah. stories on them for A B ring side. I'm I'm curious for your sort yeah. of what you came away with from those experiences.
1: Yeah, so I was I've got two things in the past week. I saw it, it just worked out well where I had been in Tampa. I was in Florida back to back weeks in uh, late once in late January, and then for the All Star week and so um and it just worked out well with uh with with the Bruins had been in Tampa when I was there so I saw the Bruins then I saw then also they had a couple they had multiple players at the all-star weekend so just a good opportunity to dive in on the Bruins content with the team that's the best team in the NHL right now the Bruins are it's just a fun fascinating story because there's the chase for the the 62 regular season wins right like we're, we we always it's the the mark that the the Lightning sent in uh, set in 2018 uh, yeah eighteen nineteen yeah. eighteen nineteen and then the uh, and then the same and, and also the the mark that the the uh, that the that the Wings set too in, in the nineties and both and of neither those teams won the Stanley Cup so it's kind of this this great like story where it's like there's this chase for this record that somehow seems cursed at the same time almost so it's a really fun storyline to watch and it's. To me, the most kind of, and I wrote about the two guys to me that are kind of the most interesting part of this run because we know the Marchands, we know who the, we we know the Bergeron's, we know the Pasternak's, like we know those guys and we know it's, we, we know what they bring. We know their story. It's been told. It's like, but to me, the two pieces that have just been super fascinating have been A, the coaching and obviously I have a history covering Jim Montgomery in Dallas because that's that I covered Jim Montgomery's first stint in the NHL before he lost his job in a very unceremonious fashion. And uh, like with what the Bruins have been doing and how much they've just been clicking along, as someone who covered Montgomery on a day-to-day basis and kind of has and knows what his shortcomings were as a head coach, we haven't even been in a spot for him to have those shortcomings in with the Bruins. And I'm just still, I, I'm fascinated. I want to know, and I, I want to be super clear. And I say this, I'm not questioning Jim Montgomery changing as a person at all. I just want to be very clear. Oh, because, what, what, because, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. What were those things? So Jim Montgomery has a, he was a college coach mm-hmm. who could come in with when things are going well, he was jovial, best friend, your buddy, everything like that. But when, but then he could flip the switch to being the bad guy. He right. could he could easily flip the switch to being the bad guy, and frankly, it works more with college players. It works when you've got five when you when you play Friday Saturday, you can be the bad guy Sunday, You can be the bad guy Monday. You still have three days before the game, and there, there's there's that, and you also have pro. It, it doesn't work the same for pro players, and it didn't really. And he had a trouble connecting with some of the, the star players in Dallas. Um, and it was you—you you had um, he would be critical of. I mean, he was there at the center of the whole the biggest fiasco, and it wasn't him who's saying it. It was Jim Lights calling out Jamie Benintin, Jamie and Tyler Sagan, but he was also calling them out. Um, there was times he would call out Ben Bishop. Um, he would he would in, in indirectly call up Ben Bishop not being able to stay healthy in various ways, and so he had this kind of issue where you could see when things weren't going well, he had a hard time keeping that even keel. He had a hard time, and he would also, he would just kind of, and he would kind of push buttons that way. And he said, and I don't know, um, but he even said one of the most famous things I've ever heard a coach say was like he talked about, and he said on the record rather publicly in Dallas how he, he couldn't, Fix the culture of mediocrity, and that's a quote. I'm not making. I'm not like. I'm not like. Like that's what he said. He couldn't fix the culture of mediocrity. He was frustrated with how he couldn't fix it. And so, the Bruins have the farthest thing from a culture of mediocrity, right? We hear. We hear. Aside from a certain decision they made to sign a certain prospect this year, the Bruins have been the gold standard for culture, and it comes from a player perspective, and it's been built within that group. Well, yeah, back to, to Chara. Yeah, sure. exactly. And so. As a coach, it's not you don't need to build and fix culture. You just need to not get in the way. So, like I don't know. So Jim Montgomery's done a great way job of not getting in the way of the Bruins' culture this year, and I think he's definitely deserves some credit for juggling things and figuring out the right way. But I I just don't know, and I, I really still want to know what happens when. How will he handle things when the Bruins lose four or five games? How will he handle things? when that top line goes cold and he's feeling frustrated about it. Like, I, I just don't know if Jim, how Jim Montgomery has changed as a head coach in that role. He said, one of the things he, he told me that was really interesting was he said, he feels like he's a more, um, Humbled, compassionate person. Obviously, after how he lost his job, and he feels like he can connect with people a little bit better and and understand their circumstances. So maybe, maybe that is the maybe that's the secret elixir. Maybe that is the thing where it's like he needed to be a little bit more understanding of other people's circumstances, and maybe that's the difference. Maybe it's not. Either way, I, I just think the the true like grading of Jim Montgomery, and it's the and it's it's easy and cliche to say this, but it's just true is we're going to get to the playoffs this team's going to win 62 games right say say this bruins he wins 62 63 whatever whatever the number is right like and then we're going to hear all these stories of well the lightning couldn't do it the wings couldn't do it like you're going to hear it's it's going to be the storyline throughout and that's when it's the, the pressure's going to be cranked up and it's going to be okay who is he in that moment and i'm just fascinated to see who he is I, i'm obviously i i'm on a on a personal human level i'm rooting for him to do it because i think he's I truly think he has changed as a person from the issues that he dealt with that made him lose a job in Dallas. I just don't know him as a professional hockey coach if he's there yet. So it's just a very interesting dynamic in a space that, um, for me, is just... And I don't know if it's fascinating to everyone or not, but just for me, as someone who covered him in one spot and now has seen him in another spot, it's fascinating to kind of watch. So. Yeah, well, you juxtapose
0: it to the person he took over from, right? I think yeah. he... He entered a pretty good situation because it was a good roster. Now, I think certainly no one expected them to have be on piece for 133 points the way they are so far this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a good veteran-laden roster that was desperate for a new coach because, by all accounts, Bruce Cassidy, who was a, a really good NHL coach in his own right, was just... like He, he wore everyone down, right? like yeah. He was just too much of a disciplinary and just too... Yeah. Every time someone would mess up, they would feel like he would be on them. And, and that's... You know that's certainly one way to do the job. It's also kind of reflects the reality of how difficult it is to be with one team for five, six years, however long. Bruce yeah. Cassidy was coaching the Bruins, right? At some point, the message wears thin. Players just sort of start tuning you out. It it, it becomes difficult to extend that relationship, and so Jim Montgomery comes in, and then all of a sudden it's it's a very fresh start, especially for the players, right? And then you see the way someone like Jake DeBros before he got hurt is performing and all these players who had previously been in Bruce Cassidy's doghouse or were being used in ways that they probably felt wasn't wasn't um, up to par with their what they could actually contribute to the team. All of a sudden, they get an opportunity to play bigger roles and you see a Connor Clifton taking off as well, uh, who I've been talking about in the PDOcast for years here. And so... um, it's a very interesting dynamic in terms of like the communication with the players and managing those relationships and it's a very as you said very easy thing to maintain not only right out of the game yeah. when it is fresh but also when you have no adversity in the sense of just winning every single game you're playing basically right and they hadn't they hadn't lost multiple games in a row up until very recently and and so it's gonna they're certainly gonna bump into that yeah. eventually like i have no no time for a narrative that winning that that setting that hl record for both regular season points is somehow a cursed or bad thing.
1: No, yeah, yeah. I think... I,
0: no, I'm not... Uh, playoffs yeah. work, right, in terms of yeah. probability, but um I, I do think there is something to like managing those obstacles and, and finding ways because they probably will, whether it's in round one or round two. They're going to go down to one in a series and have to play a road game or something like yeah. that, right? And not that it's going to be unique to the roster because all these players have been through that before, but in terms of managing that and sort of riding the ship, that there is something... Something to that, yeah. I think. So I think it's a good point.
1: And, and, and Jim Montgomery's only NHL head coaching playoff experience with the Blues in the, that 2018-19 uh, run where the, the, the Stars, where the Blues went on with with the cup and everything like that. Yeah, they lost in game seven in overtime, right? Not yeah, to yeah, hashtag yeah. Stars fans. Yeah. yeah, but it was it was also a series where like he got outcoached. He, he, and he even admitted that he got outcoached. In it. And it's something where in a seven-game series where you're hanging on by... Ben Bishop pulled by by Ben Bishop and and Matt Zuccarello basically having his arm injected and frozen so he can so he can play that night. Like getting out coached is inexcusable at that point when when with within the individual margins and that's where it's going to be. That's where it's going to going to come up more for Jim Montgomery, where the true test will be. Okay, what will you? What do you do then? And I and I know it's but it's, it's very. The other thing, just to kind of keep spinning forward, the other thing that's just interesting about the Bruins is like I wrote about this today is just in in, in, in Linus Olmark who Linus Olmark is has always been a good NHL goalie, good tandem guy, right? Like 9-15, 9-14 type guy. I mean Linus Olmark is nine thirty seven save percentage guy and has like almost thirty goals saved above average right now and like it's it's <laughs> He's he's having like a bit of that uh, kind of that Andre Vasilevsky effect effect on Tampa, where Tampa could play and with freedom and so much they had because of what Vasilevsky did. Where Olmark is providing that in Boston, and to be honest, at least from my perspective, I never thought of Linus Olmark as that guy. So
0: yeah, well, so he's twenty six, four and one, nine thirty seven save yep. percentage, seven got a goals against under two. I mean, by all of the sort of traditional. Metrics like yeah. he's going to get a lot of Vesna votes,
1: right? And well, he should win the Vesna. I think there's there's a difference between maybe being happy with what he's doing. And yes, the Vesna. Well,
0: like I'm, I want to be clear on that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think contextualizing yeah. for degree of difficulty is important here because even yeah. you mentioned like based on the public models like, uh, evolving yeah. hockey, for example, which is yeah. the go to for goal save above expected, has yeah. a 25.1 goal saved, which is like yeah. third in the league. If you look at some of the private ones, like SportLogic has him at like 14 goal sale long expected, which is still really good and yeah. amongst like the top 10. But it's the, what he has to do behind that system is much different than what UC Soros has to do behind yes. John Hines' system in Nashville. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's the environment is very important for this stuff and not to take anything away from Mark because I think actually yeah yeah when he's been called upon, he's been really good. And there are times where there's a breakdown and he's come through Way more often than not and certainly exceeded my expectations but i think some applying some context especially when you're nitpicking for like is this guy the best goalie in the league or the second or third best should be applied in here so but yeah you also yeah, ultimately yeah, the yeah. point there about usage right like we've never really he's getting into kind of uncharted waters here especially if they do make a playoff run in terms of like how many the volume of games that he's going to be asked to play this season which he's never really done at any point in his career
1: yeah like, like he's played in his career the as most NHL games played, right? We had the 41 games in the regular season last year and the two playoff games, but then got yanked and then then they got benched after that. But like beyond that, you go from like, I'm looking at his, pulled up his elite prospects page to give a nice plug for one of my employers. Uh, I mean, he's played 60, 56 games combined between the age all during the 2016, 17 season. Um, Like, you're looking at a guy. You're looking at a. He's never played this many games, and he's no. gonna. And and that's the thing that's gonna be really interesting because, I I, I think we're at a spot. I I've, I've maintained the theory that I think the. Like the healthiest number of games. This is just my theory. I feel like the best version of a goal you get the at best, the most you can really get out of a goalie is like sixty games total. Like I think I think I think there's there's some guys who, and so. It becomes the sp- spot of goaltending, in my view. And I'm talking about the NHL level, right? Where the key is how do you figure out how do you make sure you get those 60 games spread out the right way? And that's why we've gone to this kind of tandem system, right? Where we have more of the 1A, 1B. So then, and then, and then number one in the playoffs. So, and you can go to that. But I mean, what's going to happen with Oldmark as he continues to. Get more of workload he's never had things like that it's I don't know. it's it's just an interesting he's an interesting character and it's yep. also not, he's also actually a character which is something we don't always have like we talked about earlier how like we need to see more from jason robertson and omar someone who it's it's good to have the starting goalie the boston bruins being someone with character because you want we want more of that in the game um, like I mean the whole the silly little like we talk about little silly things that people in hockey don't realize are great for growing the fandom. Like the fact Olmark and Swayman do the big like hug thing after mm-hmm. the like how many people there I'm sure there's people in Boston who know nothing about the Bruins. They know nothing about the thing, but they look and they see the pictures of the goalies hugging, and they're like, Oh that's cute. I'll watch the Bruins I might I might actually care if the Bruins win or lose. Like people in hockey forget about that stuff all the time that like there's little things that, that happen in this sport that we're like, oh, well, maybe don't, we don't need to promote that or we don't need to do this or whatever. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying not to connect us to the early part. I blame you. <laughs> yeah, I like it. All right,
0: Sean. <laughs> uh, let's get out of here. I'll let yeah. you quickly promote stuff. Uh, yeah. You mentioned some of the pieces you written up. Just let the listeners know where they can have, find all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, I've got the stuff up on EP Ringside. Um I'll have a couple things up there this week still. Just kind of unloading the notebook from the, uh, uh, from All-Star Weekend, collecting some stuff. Uh, I think Thursday I'll have my, kind of bi-weekly undumbered thoughts going there. Um my site, I had a really good coverage conver- or at uh shap shots on Substack, Sean Shapiro dot substack dot com. Um the uh I had a really good conversation with Jake Wallman today, uh from the Red Wings Defenseman who obviously dil the Dylan Larkin conversations, the big contract Hello Blue and everything like that. But in the um in Detroit, obviously there is that there's also the big there's a, going to be a big contract discussion and question about Jake Wallman, what he's worth, what he really is. And I had a really good conversation with Jiddick about that himself today. So I'll have a story um and that tomorrow over at Shap mm-hmm. And uh Yeah. Well, looking forward to that. This is a blast as always, man. Uh we'll have you
0: on again soon. Listeners, if you enjoyed what they heard, go smash that five star button wherever you listen to the PDO cast, and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode. So thank you for listening to the Hockey PTOcast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.